that wasn't really helping him succeed, and yet he was laying it on the line every week. Welcome to the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast has been created not to dwell and over-evaluate what has already happened in the sports world, but to predict and to forecast what has yet to come. From game picks to draft picks, and from trades to free agent signings, we will let you know what happens before it happens. Your hosts, Nick and Nate, will evaluate, study, and understand sports patterns, tendencies, and nuances to better prepare you on what to expect. Just like Weatherman, but way more accurate. So if you like to pick games, or you simply just want to be in the know before anybody else, you are in the right place. Enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Sports Forecasters. I am joined once again with my good friend, Tyler Princing. Welcome back. We're glad to have you back. Yeah, great to be back. What's also great is when the, the deities of the sports world give you a gift. And the NFL and the MLB have done such. Not that we're not in the thick of college basketball in their college tournaments. NFL and MLB have delivered a surplus of things for us to talk about today. And that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to talk about what's the outcome of the MLB lockout and then the big moves that have happened in the NFL. So without further ado, Tyler, let's go ahead and jump into the MLB lockout. What did it look like? What was the result of it? And what did we learn from it? First off, it was almost 100 days that the owners decided to close their doors, not let any players in. Now we have an agreement made nearly a week and some change from when their first deadline was. The first thing that stuck out to me, Tyler, was that all 162 games, they're going to play them. What was your initial feeling about it when they said that that was going to happen? Well, I mean, the whole lockout had to do with financial implications anyways, so I figured that the players didn't want to play anything less than their normal schedule of 162 games so they can collect all those game checks. So I, I definitely see why they fought tooth and nail to to get their normal season, just starting a little bit later than normal. And they also, it looks like they got rid of the designated ghost runner and extra innings and double headers will also no longer be seven innings. So it'll be a full nine inning game as well. Right. And ultimately, if any of these lockouts or when we had lockdowns has taught us is they're going to, these major sports leagues are going to do everything they can to make sure they keep a season intact the best that they can under the circumstances that are presented for baseball. Quite honestly, starting when they are April 7th might still be a smidge too early, but it's better than when we normally start around April 1st for the Northern area, not to say the Southern states ever have this issue, but up in the northern areas like Cleveland and Detroit. But there's always that chance of snow being in the forecast or the games being extremely bitter cold during those parts of the season. So to have a little later start might actually be more of a refreshing thing. And weather is always going to be unknown until you come to that event. Maybe that's something they can look at for future of maybe starting later. I know MLB purists will hate that. Always something to think about for those teams that are up in the northern parts of the United States. Yeah, I mean, being in Michigan, I definitely would not put it on my bucket list to go to Comerica Park 
in April to watch a baseball game just because I know how unpredictable the weather is. Yeah, it might be sunny out, but it also could be 35 degrees, and it's like, this is not baseball weather. This is, you know, basketball and football weather. It kind of reminds me of, like, when a parent is, like, just sitting out there watching Tommy practice. It's like, can practice be over yet? I'm I'm over this yeah, type of true. feeling where you just can't feel your toes anymore, wish you would have had your galoshes on. So moving on into the MLB lockout agreement. One of the big things that stuck out was the owners wanted 14 teams in the playoffs, but the agreement ended up being 12 teams in the playoffs, which is a dramatic increase from where we were back in 2011. With 12 out of 30 teams being allowed into the league, Tyler, before I get my thoughts, what are your thoughts on the playoff teams being expanded from where they've been in the past to what they are now? Um, well, there's there's usually every year like one or two teams in each, you know, AL and NL that are kind of like borderline. They could be good enough to play in the playoffs, but if there's only so many teams and they might miss the playoffs. So those borderline teams might have a chance to actually get credit for being in the playoffs moving forward now, which I don't know if would benefit them or not the MLB draft. If that is similar to the other major sports, you know, affecting the draft order and whatnot. Um, but yeah, then it, I, I just don't know if more, if adding more teams will make the playoffs longer. So then you're looking, you know, the end of October into the beginning of November when the world series is, which then you're running into the same problem as what you are in April, that it's just way too cold and the weather's too unpredictable. I guess those are some <laughs> fine lines we'll have to think about in the next few years to see how it goes. Yeah, and that's always been kind of the debate of what's going on with it. I mean, you're always going to have those fans that it doesn't matter what it's happening or whatever. We stand out there for football games and what have you, and we can make it through this, which is true. For me, I don't mind the ideas of playoff expansion, but the big question is what are what is it going to look like? What are you going to do with it? And are you really taking the cream of the crop for your league or are you just trying to get more you're trying to generate more revenue which i know they're a business that's their bottom line that's what they need to do and i mean i'm always for the jump that they made from having eight teams make the playoffs to jumping up to 12 for me it's a bit much to jump up that much however if they have a good system and for all i know it's going to pan out really well I don't know. Like, I feel like you were getting it right by having your extra team make the wild card or extra two teams these last few years make the wild card. And it gave a little bit more suspense because earning that number one seed was more pivotal. The more teams you add, the more I think you cheapen the fact that you make the playoffs. Will that be the end result of it? Time will tell. I think what will ultimately happen is or what you hope will happen is it'll just make it more competitive, more compelling. And you'll definitely bring that for the teams that are close, the teams that are battling along the towards the end, whether it's a team you root for, root against, or teams you casually follow. Ultimately, it's going to be a good thing. It's just the initial thought of it, I think, cheapens what the playoffs have meant, especially for baseball, how tough it was to make it there. I mean, you nearly only had, when you only have nearly 
20 percent of your league making playoffs that really makes it something special when you have that playoff banner hanging in your stadium that's something to really hang your hat on as a fan but maybe i'm reading too much into it maybe it's all for the best and ultimately i think it will be because it'll become the new norm eventually so we'll see what happens with it what are your thoughts on playoff expansion and adding teams do you think it'll end up being a positive thing for the sport or it'll cheapen what the sport has accomplished well in baseball it comes down to pitching matchups so you try to get your you know your ace to get the most rest at the end of the season so they'll be fresh for game one of the you know first round of the playoffs but if you have more like say play-in games or do or die games you know you might want to use your ace for that game to try to ensure that you can advance and survive to the next round and then try to somehow get your ace enough rest and incorporate them into that series and so it's just a big juggling affair so i don't know i guess it's more of like a trial and error the way i see it this year try it out and see what it looks like and see if there's a lot of like low scoring sloppy baseball or if there's like a lot of high power offense, a lot of guys getting hits because the pitching staff is just so taxied from, you know, having to pitch so often for more games in the, in the playoffs, it all comes down to that. And, you know, if a hitter's hot and then they have to, you know, wait for like another series, you know, your series might be a sweep and then the other series might go seven games, you know, you might get like a whole week off and that might ruin your timing as a hitter as well. I wouldn't mind the prospect of it's like for this year, we're going to try it. And if the competitive balance isn't quite there yet, we tweak it a little bit. Um, unfortunately, when you open the gates of having 12 teams, it's never going to go back, which again, could be a good thing. We'll see what happens with that. But moving on to a thing I really did like coming out of the lockout was the universal designated hitter, something that's been long overdue and they could never quite come to agreement with it. I think, that's a great opportunity for your older players to still be a good bat for the lineup or hammer hammer a few out of the park. I think that's a good thing for them to have instead of being limited to half the league I have this opportunity with. The whole league now has this opportunity. What are your thoughts on the designated hitter, Tyler? I'm more of like a traditionalist, I guess. Like I kind of liked how the NL would have the pitcher bat. So if you have a really good hitting pitcher, then, you know, you, you try to use them. I don't think we're ever going to see another Shohei Itane again. But, um, you know, just something like a, a player like that that can actually hit decently but also pitch decently. I did like when it was the World Series and whoever the home team was, you would have to play by those rules. So that did make it unique. But I think yeah. I feel ultimately this is going to be good for a player to kind of continue on their career especially if you have one of those individuals that might be chasing records in terms of home run records that that gives them more opportunity to be there and fans really love to see those home runs so we'll see how that all ends up now we're going to move on to a bit of forecasting because can't have a sports forecasting podcast without having some kind of forecast so tyler let's look at the next major league sports teams that have their lockout or major league sports to have their next lockout. We have NHL, MLS, NBA, or NFL. Which pro sports league do you think will have the next lockout? Uh, I'd probably say the NFL because, I, I mean, I think it's just been a few years since the NHL had theirs. 
Um, obviously, the Major League Baseball is just having theirs now, just getting over with it. I don't really know too much about the MLS and how their system works. And the NBA had one not that long ago either, but I think it was farther out than the NHL. So I, I'd say probably the NFL. Not the copy answers, but I felt that way as well when I posed the question. I feel like NFL will ultimately be the next one because of various things like insurance after you retire, player wages, guaranteed money, different things like that. This NFL is generating so much money, and it just seems like the sports league that's most poised to have that kind of work stoppage again, where MLB... Thankfully for their league, they were able to solve it quickly and not cost too much of their season. Well, ultimately not cost any of their season. Their season just started a little late. NBA, like you mentioned, had one, but they resolved theirs pretty quick to where they missed almost no games as well. NHL, I feel like, is in a similar situation as MLB. You really, for your fan bases, can't afford to have those work stoppages. You have to try to be ahead of the storm and solve these as quick as you can. So I have to agree with you. NFL seems like the next one. It's just such a big cash cow and such it gravitates so many eyes that people are going to notice that player player unions and owners, they're not going to be so willing to share the pie equally. So we'll end up seeing what happens when that CBA comes up. I believe the NFL CBA comes up in 2030. So we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of the NFL, we're going to move on to the NFL. As I mentioned off the top, the NFL has, is by far content king in terms of even in their offseason, they seem to grab huge headlines and a lot of huge things have happened these last few days. We've had franchise tags being thrown around. We've had major trades. We've had some key name players being cut. We're going to look at each of these parts and we're going to pick out our top choices for tags and cuts and our thoughts on the trade. So we're going to start with players being cut. What player do you think is the biggest acquisition for a team to pick up now that they've been cut? And I'll just rattle off a few names here. Landon Collins, Jordan Hicks, Bobby Wagner, Trey Flowers, Tavon Young, Kyle Van Noy, Kyle Rudolph, and there's plenty of other names, but those are some of the names that really stuck out. Which one do you think is going to be the biggest acquisition for a team out there? Well, I, I mean, I guess Kyle Rudolph, if you're looking for a good veteran tight end. He's had a pretty solid career being a, somewhat of a Lions fan, I guess I'll admit. Um, Kyle Van Noy started his career in Detroit. He was a pretty solid player, and they traded him to New England, and he, he had some success there too. So I don't know why New England decided to get rid of him, if it's a free cap space or not, but he's a pretty solid like linebacker slash defensive end hybrid type player. So it'll be the first two that pop up. For me, I think – the biggest acquisition out of those names I mentioned, Bobby Wagner seems like someone that could really take a young defensive core and help help solidify what you have going on. I think if Dallas could afford him, he would be the perfect linebacker to bring into a Dan Quinn system. He's had history with Dan Quinn, had his best years with Dan Quinn, and I think he could really help the relatively young defense in Dallas be a little more consistent in their performance instead of being turnover prone. That would be the one that sticks out to me right away simply because of where his old defensive coach is and situation there. But 
we'll see if that happens. Tavon Young had a promising career, but his injuries seem to be more prevalent than his time on the field. And then Landon Collins, very hard-hitting safety, but sometimes when you're hard-hitting safety, you sacrifice years in the game. So for me, Bobby Wagner would be my pick as someone that would be a great acquisition if you're looking for veteran leadership in that linebacking core or just looking to get someone that you can depend on in that position. Moving on to the franchise tag. Franchise tag has come and gone, and several teams have exercised this option, and some teams let it go to the wayside. But we're going to focus on the ones who utilize this franchise tag. We're going to pick our best franchise tag usage and our worst out of this. I'll go ahead and I'll start off with the worst use of your franchise tag. First, I'll go through the franchise tags before I give up my worst one. You have Bates from the Bengals, Njoku from the Browns, Schultz for the Cowboys, Adams for the Packers, Robinson, the offensive tackle for the Jags, the offense, offensive tackle Brown for the Chiefs, Gasecki for the Dolphins, and Godwin for the Bucks. My worst franchise tag usage for this year, 2022, would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not that Godwin isn't a great wide receiver, but franchise tagging him when you're not sure what your quarterback room is going to look like, you already have Mike Evans on the books, and you just have a lot of cap space that you have to negotiate. I don't know if franchise tagging Godwin is the best use of your assets when you have so many things you need to sort out and figure out with your team on the offensive side of the ball to be in particular. On the other hand, I can see the complete argument of keeping him on your team and having him be a part of that new quarterback regime when you bring in whoever it is or stay with whomever is in your room. So that's my worst pick simply because of needs that you have amongst your roster on that side of the ball, especially with the gaping vacancy at quarterback. Offensive line, you just had a guard retire. Gronk, who knows what he's going to do or what he has to offer. You still have a quality receiver in Mike Evans who you could build other younger receivers around, but that's my pick for the worst use of franchise tag. Who would be your pick, Tyler? For the worst one, maybe I'd go with Gasecki. I mean, he's a good tight end, but I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Kyle Rudolph is a good veteran tight end. You could sign off a free agency for probably a lot cheaper than what you're going to have to negotiate with Kasicki. And it seems like the Dolphins just, you know, they're the Dolphins, so they find silly ways to mess things up. So that'd probably be my pick. Yeah, Gasecki does seem to be one that stands out there in terms of a franchise tag that might be wasted. I've always been high on him. I think he brings quality, especially to a quarterback and to uh, that doesn't always have, only has confidence, it seems, in Waddle. Gasecki always provides that safety blanket when it's getting tight in the numbers. So I can definitely see your point in having a tight end being not needed for a franchise tag. Maybe let him walk and there was an option there with Kyle and he wasn't someone that was highly showcased in the offensive scheme at first. So I disagree, but I can see your point in that. So now, Tyler, who is the best use of the franchise tag? Probably Adams, just because of the news of Aaron Rodgers sticking around, and they were afraid that Adams was going to walk as well if Rodgers, you know, was going to leave. And I don't think Adams really wants to play for another quarterback, anyways. Um, but this way, they can kind of negotiate a different contract and try to help 
soothe the cap space for the future. That was one I also thought, but just to, to keep things varied and not have monotonous answers. I, d- I definitely agree. Adams is the best use because he's by far the best player out of all these to be tagged. But I'll say Orlando Brown. As the Kansas City Chiefs, when you made that move on draft day to get Orlando Brown, only having him for a year rental and just having him be as good as he was against the pass rush and keeping your quarterback clean, that's important. Becoming a veteran star in Patrick Mahomes, you want to keep him safe. You want to keep him clean. I would say the Kansas City Chiefs use their franchise tag the best given the circumstance of their of what they have going on. In a second, a close second, again, after I take Adams out of this equation, would be Cam Robinson because the, even though the Jacksonville Jaguars was a mess, to say the least, making sure you keep your offensive line the best that it can be and keeping the best pieces around is going to be pivotal for a young quarterback to develop. So mine would be, again, after taking Devontae Adams out, those offensive tackle franchise tags because if you don't have a good line, you have Derek Carr, who was a wreck after he got beat up as a quarterback, and there's probably countless others that's been in a circumstance of. So that would be my pick for best use of franchise tag. Now we're going into the trades. We had three major trades happen, two with quarterbacks and one with a defensive lineman. We'll start with the defensive lineman, one that just happened Hot off the press as we started recording with Khalil Mack being traded to the San, excuse me, Khalil Mack being, we'll start off with Khalil Mack being traded to the Los Angeles Chargers in exchange for a second and sixth round pick. Who's the winner in this deal, Tyler? And who do you think benefits from this trade the most? Well, I'd say definitely the Chargers um, to pair up with Joey Bosa. And then they got, um, you know, just a Herbert young quarterback and um, pretty solid wide receiving core as well. So their their team overall uh, was just a few plays away from making the playoffs. And so I think they're trying to um, get beefed up to, to try to make another run this year and in that super tough AFC West division, which we'll probably talk about here in a second with the other trade going on. Absolutely. I think I would like to think Chicago should win this deal long term, just given the age of Khalil Mack. Not to say he's close to hanging it up, who knows nowadays, but it just gives you a moment of pause of just how lethal that pass rush could look this upcoming season. Khalil Mack hasn't been one that has missed a ton of games. He has had to miss a game here and there and everything like that, but he's not one that sticks out in my mind as an individual who's missing game after game and you just kind of have that size like, oh, he's out again type mantra following him. So I think short-term Chargers are going to give themselves a boost that they need to have. Defensively, they have to step up because as you alluded to, this division is going to get tougher than what it already was. And any gaps you have, you need to try to eliminate the best that you can. So I, depending on what Chicago does with it, maybe they could come out on top, but you're not going to get something that replaces Khalil Mack, which 
I I would have to think if this trade happened, it would be because you were going to have to cut him or do something with him that you weren't going to get anything in return. So short-term Chargers win. We'll see what the long-term holds. Now moving on to the next trade. This one didn't grab as many headlines, but it's definitely a headline when it's a quarterback being traded. Carson Wentz, spending one year with Indianapolis, has now been shipped with a second-round pick to the Washington Commanders in exchange for some third-round and second-round picks Indianapolis gets in return. What are your initial thoughts on it? I kind of feel sorry for Carson Wentz because beginning of his career, he was pretty solid young guy, and then injuries, of course, happened to him, and then he hasn't been right since then. But it just feels like they didn't really give him much of a shot in Indianapolis to, to prove himself, but sometimes a change of scenery does does wonders for certain people. So we'll see what he can do in D.C. and see where he can take the commanders, I guess. Absolutely. When As fans, we may not want a guy to do well against our favorite team, but we never wish poorly, especially for me being an Eagles fan. I never felt like Carson Wentz was a, a problem. I just think him and Doug Peterson just had a clash of styles and they couldn't move past their animosity with each other. So that's what ultimately led him to leaving Philadelphia. I was shocked at how bad the season went for him, basically from the halfway point on in Indianapolis, especially the last four four games or so that he had with the Colts. They just could not depend on him to do a whole lot for them. It had to be the bones minimum with a guy that was touted to be an individual who wants to throw it all over the yard and just be that number, that top quarterback. And he just looked anything but that. So the fact that the Colts moved on from him by the end of the NFL season, I wasn't surprised by that. I believe I alluded to that to where I wouldn't be shocked if they moved on from Carson Wentz. I'm just shocked. They haven't made a move to go for their next guy because looking at their roster, they don't have that guy there. So my question for you, Tyler, is not necessarily who wins in this trade, but what do the Colts do for their next move? Well, they're getting uh, was it two two thirds and a second. This this year's draft isn't really strong in the quarterback category, so maybe they're gonna kind of hold on to some of those picks and maybe try to see what they can do moving into the next draft, or maybe they'll try to you know find a um, a free agent, or maybe they'll even make a another trade. You know, for example, like Jimmy G. Maybe they'll try to like swindle something for him, since I know that San Fran's probably going to try to move on from him since they just drafted Trey Lance last year, which ironically is also from North Dakota State, where Carson Wentz played. Absolutely, one of my thoughts for Jimmy G. was that he was going to possibly end up with Indianapolis because. You just got the sense that the Colts were not going to stick around with Carson Wentz and how he's performing and the contract he has. And the sooner they could wash their hands from it, this move was surprising that it happened so quickly, but in the same regard, not when you reflect on what the season was for Carson. I definitely think Jimmy G is a strong contender for it. Now, the question is, how soon do you pull that trigger? Because if Watson is cleared of the things going on for him. Does Houston even entertain the idea of trading to someone in the AFC South? The answer, in my opinion, is no. I know you want to unload him or get rid of him or move on from him because he doesn't want to play for you, but you don't want to see him in your division. So 
we'll see what that holds. But moving on to the biggest trade, in my opinion, the one that myself included and others thought a different quarterback was going to be taking this mantle. The Denver Broncos have found their quarterback of the immediate future and for the next few seasons in Russell Wilson. He has been traded to the Denver Broncos pending whatever approvals need to be, but it's done as much as it can be. Russell Wilson heading to the Denver Broncos in exchange for a couple of players from the Broncos and a plethora of picks. With this trade happening, were you surprised by the quarterback that ended up in Denver, Tyler? Actually, yes, I was very surprised. I kind of anticipated Aaron Rodgers making that move over to Denver since they're his old uh, quarterback's coach just recently went over to Denver. So I kind of fully anticipated him to leave, especially with all the turmoil that happened last year with all the drama and everything. I just figured like he was done with Green Bay and he was going to move on. But I guess something happened and they reconciled and you know, he's going to be staying there for a few more years. And I thought Russ, you know, he's a good, not only a great quarterback, but he's a great person as well. I figured he would have, you know, felt that loyalty to try to stay in Seattle since he's done so much for the community there. But at the end of the day, it is a business and you have to make the right move for your future. And so to help Seattle with their future, you know, he probably figured there wasn't much of a future for him to stay in Seattle. So they probably mutually decided to work up a trade and it just so happened to be in Denver. So yeah, I, I was definitely shocked to see Russ traded, let alone to Denver. Very few times do you have franchises saying, we need to rebuild, we need to restart, we need to give up what we're doing and start over. 76ers is about the only franchise I can think of that like openly broadcasts that we're stinking so we can get better later. The Seahawks have been in denial of what their problems have been over the last few seasons. They have a aging defense, the inability to change their offensive identity or lack of willingness to do so. Do they spend picks to get some pieces? Yes, but you never got the sense that Pete Carroll was committed to putting Russell Wilson or utilizing Russell Wilson in the best way possible with a talent like that and the health that he had. I mean, this was the first time he's missed any significant playing time, and it was because his finger was broken. It wasn't like he could just well, right. slough it off. Well, and he's been the most sacked quarterback in the NFL for the last numerous years as well. Absolutely. I mean, what was it? I want to say four or five years ago when they were trying out tight ends for their offensive line. If that doesn't scream that we're not trying to take care of this quarterback, I don't know what exactly would. But for Russell to want to leave Seattle isn't shocking from an outsider perspective. For someone that doesn't really root for Seattle per se, it's not very surprising when you see all the things that they were doing that wasn't really helping him succeed. And yet he was laying it on the line every week. He right. would extend these plays and do everything he can, run around with his head cut off in a metaphoric sense to just try to help his team be in position. Did they have confidence in him? Most definitely. They believed in his ability to be able to win in the last two minutes, but it just comes down to why as a franchise would you let a quarterback of this talent just feel like you're not there to move forward and put the team the best way to succeed? I think Seattle finally had a look in the mirror and decided 
we got to be honest with ourselves. We need to start over. Right. They cut Bobby Wagner. They move Russell Wilson. So for Seattle fans, you're going to be seeing the bottom of the NFC West potentially for a while, pending what happens with the Cardinals, where the Broncos are doing what they've been doing for the last so many seasons since John Elway's been a part of the franchise, where they are making the moves they feel like they need to now to put their team in the best position for success, whether that's quarterback or other positions. They are an AFC style of the Los Angeles Rams where they're going to make those moves, those flashy moves, those bigger moves, those eye-catching moves to get their team in the best position. So right now on paper, the Broncos look like they're in a really good position. We'll see what they do with the things they need to sure up spots they may need to to make sure they hold on to the other pieces they need to where as a player if my contract's up with the broncos i might be more apt to resign with them knowing that we have a quarterback that i have confidence in that is proven that has shown he's going to do what he can to make sure our team wins and he has the physical tools to help us be in a successful position so for the broncos it could look good but like we said with a crowded afc west how are things going to shake out with you? How are you going to look in this? Are you going to be settling for being a wild card team? Or are you going to be contending with, we're just going to say the Chiefs because they're the team that's won it the last number of years. Like, are you going to be able to beat them? Are you going to be able to dethrone them? So time will tell once free agency begins and teams do all their shuffling and trades and drafts and everything like that. But definitely for Russell Wilson, it's a plus for his career in the fact that he's going to have a franchise that you feel like is going to do what they can to put him in a position to succeed. Where Seattle, hopefully they can get back on their feet quickly, but I think it's going to be a while until a new regime comes in. Yeah, I definitely think that the Broncos probably won this trade. I mean, I think Russ was a third-round pick whenever he got drafted. They've wasted uh, at least a few first-round picks on quarterbacks within the last few years. So if you think about it, these future first-round picks that they're trading to Seattle, they're basically investing that into Russell Wilson, who already is a proven top-five quarterback probably, or you know, definitely top-ten anyway. Um, so they feel like those first picks, they're basically investing that into Wilson now so that they feel like that's a win for them. But at the same time, you know, the Broncos are in the AFC West, and you're right, they do have to – um, try to dethrone the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, which will never be easy. And the, the Chargers are on the uprise too, as we just mentioned a little while ago, with the Chargers getting Khalil Mack. So they're trying to beef up their defense, and they have a young stud quarterback as well. So that whole division is just going to be cutthroat every week, week in and week out. They're just going to be beating up each other, and probably ultimately whoever survives at the end of the year, whoever's the healthiest, will probably end up winning the division, and then probably at least the second place team or maybe even second and third place team might qualify for the playoffs as well. Cause that division is just going to be fully loaded. Yes. Uh, AFC and NFC West look to be monster divisions with the AFC West having a greater edge in my opinion at this point, but time will tell where this all leads and who ends up being a winner or loser in all these trades that we've mentioned here. And for those that are about to come that we don't have any reports of yet. So NFL definitely knows how to make itself content keen, even in a time where the, there's no games being played. So kudos to you, NFL, for always trying to keep yourself on top. But the next time we meet up, folks, we'll definitely be diving into college basketball, looking at how these conference tournaments panned out, how March Madness 
is looking, who our picks are going to be, where we think the brackets are going to go, and what's going to happen there. Before we sign off, I want to thank you again, Tyler, for joining us here on the Sports Forecasters. Thanks for being a part of it. Yeah, thanks for having me again. We'll hope to have you on more as we move along here. So with that being said, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Sports Forecasters. You've been listening to Tyler Princing. I'm Nick Alvarez, and we'll talk to you next time.